Hey, Darren, I, I want to take a minute to let our fans know about something really, really exciting. Uh, I joined what forces with... I'm glad you asked, because <laughs> I, I got something to share with you, and it's really, really exciting. Okay. Um, on June 4th, the 39th anniversary of the release of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, mm. we're launching a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter for our new documentary, 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever. Uh, mm. Roger Lay, who did all the uh, Star Trek special features, Star Trek documentaries, and myself are going to be producing a spectacular documentary that will take you inside the greatest movies released in 1982. It's going to be something really special. And, you know, we, 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 um, we put together an amazing team of people and uh, we're reaching out to you, the fans, to help support this. So if you go to Kickstarter, um, you can find out more about the campaign, uh, why uh, we think it's so important and what this is going to be. And, and if, you, uh, if it's interesting to you, if it, it tickles your fancy, um, we hope you'll choose to support us. Um, and you can, uh, there's some great rewards, including, I know you're going to be shocked. You can get autographed copies of my book. You may even win a chance to uh, come on this very podcast and watch Darren and I record an episode when we're back in the studio. First and, prize uh, is a non-autographed copy of your book. Because <laughs> those are more, uh, much more rare. Second prize, <laughs> a set of steak knives. <laughs> That'd be funny. We should have that as a reward where you can win a set of steak knives. Now, for those of you who are wondering... Why was 1982 so incredible? Well, we all know about Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. But let me just give you a, a few of the other movies that came out that year. Blade Runner, Conan, Poltergeist, Halloween 3, The Dark Crystal, Swamp Thing, The Verdict, Tootsie, The Citizen Kane of teen exploitation movies. Not to be confused with The Citizen Kane of Star Trek episodes. Fast Times at Richmond High, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Cat People, Creep Show, The Thing, Tron, The Atomic Cafe. I mean, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary year, and, and we're going to document it like no one has ever done it before with exclusive interviews, clips, behind the scenes, storyboards. Uh, it's going to be amazing. It's we have really, really exciting plans, and, and obviously, we want to have it come out for the 40th anniversary uh, of these films next summer. So uh, please, if, you, if you're interested, Check out 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever on Kickstarter today. That's extraordinary. Sounds like fun. And now you find yourself in 82. The disco hotbox hold no charm for you. You can't concern yourself with bigger things. You catch a pull and ride the dragon's If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of the 430 movie. I'm here with... Steve Melching. Darren Docterman. Ashley Miller. You know, and if you want to know... What Ashley's pick out of the box is, you owe it to yourself to watch 
the 430 movie, live. You should see the expressions. The only way to understand the kinds of faces we're making when Ashley does Wednesday is to watch us on Electric Now. It's one thing to hear us, but you can't see the expressions on our face. You can't hear disbelief. Coming soon, our new podcast, Ashley Does Wednesday. (laughs) Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Marooned on a mysterious planet. It's all right. Don't be frightened. He will become a savior. We can't be here when it's night. That's when the Morak comes. A guardian against unseen evil. If they find us, we'll all die. An evil that preys on one thing. Tuvok! Tuvok! They're gone. Children. They're coming all around us. We've got to go now. On the next Star Trek Voyager. Hi, this is Peter Holmstrom. And this is Lisa Clink. And we are not the Inglorious Trexperts. We have taken control of the briefing room this week to bring you an exclusive podcast commentary for the Star Trek Voyager episode, Innocence, written by none other than Lisa Clink. Lisa, we've, uh, you've, you've written a number of episodes for Star Trek. Um, what made you decide to do this episode as, your, as the first commentary? Well, I really like this episode. I was really happy with the way it turned out. Uh, and it's a good Tuvok episode, and he's one of my favorite characters. Uh, I think the last time I was on Inglorious Trexperts, I talked about Blood Fever, which is another one of my favorites. Ah, yes. And this is a very different episode. Um, and so I thought it was worth kind of doing a pivot and talking about this one instead. I always was a big fan of this episode. This was one that I have a, a vivid memory of watching for the first time when it first aired back in 96, in I believe. Um, because it had in it uh one of my favorite TV sitcom comedy stars, uh, t- what's his name, T.J. Mowry, I believe T- it is. Taj Mowry, yes, the, yeah, he's fantastic, and he also starred in a uh, C- uh, ABC sitcom called Smart Guy, which I was obsessed with at the time. And to see him in this, I was like, <laughs> "Hey, that's awesome!" So, um, yeah, I think he was on the show with his older sisters, Tia and Tamara, maybe. He yes, they were in um. They would come in and do like guest spots every once in a while, but they yeah. were this was the whole family of actors, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's anyway, adorable. He's great. I actually, I think he's still acting too. He's doing uh, a lot of like the BET stuff and, and oh, things great. like that. Anyway, we will get into it. Uh, to the listeners out there, we are watching uh, again season two, episode twenty-two of Voyager. Uh, if you'd like to watch it, we would obviously recommend that you watch it on uh, by the DVD, so it can promote the show and convince CBS and Paramount to do a Blu-ray transfer at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also watch it on Netflix, Amazon, uh, Paramount Plus, of course. And I'm pretty, pretty sure pretty much every streaming service out there carries Voyager, so um, easy to find. Uh, all right, so we will do a countdown, and then we will get to it. All right, three, two, one, and play. All right, we're taking a look at our crash shuttle craft. I think we crashed about a dozen of them over the course of the series. <laughs> and here we have Ensign Bennett, who we've never actually met before, but uh, this is going to be his his last. 
several of your vertebrae have been fractured. And it was kind of uh, kind of interesting to start off with a death. I mean, we didn't really sure. build up to it, I and mean, we don't know really what happened, except you know, just the the crash. I think everyone just loves a good kind of implies uh, what happened in, in Hollywood. Is that is that not right? So it's um... <laughs> yeah. So he's telling Tuvok that he he used to think that he was really lucky that he didn't have anybody to leave behind on Earth, and now he feels kind of bad that he don't nobody's going to miss him. I believe Ensign McCormick would miss you a great deal. You think so? I've never really sure. But I thought it was a nice moment for Tuvok that even though he doesn't have emotions, he recognizes that Ensign Bennett does, and so he does something nice yes. for him. Absolutely. Alas, poor Bennett. You know, I, I'm curious too, did you guys, because Voyager specifically only had like 150 some odd people on it. Were you guys keeping a tab as you went of like, okay, we can't kill off too many people. In, I don't uh, think we were actually, uh, or I'm, <laughs> I'm sure some fan was somewhere, but <laughs> if we had sure. a running ship tally, I wasn't aware of it. Fair, fair, totally. All right, now we meet our little alien, Tressa. And that She's was really great, kind of the, the genesis of this whole episode was Tuvok with kids. Because yes. we'd established that Tuvok was a father and that he had a family back home. And I was just really fascinated by the idea of Vulcans as parents. You know, I assume their little kids aren't born logical. And so how do you how do you take a kid and and make them into a logical being? And that, that's what really interested me about this episode. You know, I'm curious. What I love about Voyager 2 is... Um, while you had things in like TNG and, and Deep Space Nine where it would be like, okay, this is the Cisco episode, this is the Voyager, or uh, this is the, the Wharf episode, et cetera. What I love about Voyager is that they would often like sprinkle in little continuing storylines throughout the uh, the series. And one of them I think was uh, Tuvok's parenthood, you know, having being, being a father, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And kind of the pain that he feels. It's, it's never directly stated, but he's clearly like hurting because he's you know 70 years away from his from his family yeah yeah no there, there's a moment coming up in which one of the kids asks if Tuvok misses his kids and does he love his kids if he doesn't feel anything and again I thought that was also really interesting to explore absolutely so here they come <laughs> and you get the look uh, at Tuvok's so face <laughs> he's so great so Lisa, this this episode was based on a on a pitch by Anthony Williams, who was mm -hmm. a publicist at Paramount at the time. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us a bit about that, a bit about the the early part of this of this show before it came uh, came to you. Was was his pitch a, a very well formed out thing, or was it kind of a concept that you took the ball and really turned it, fleshed it out into into a full episode? You know, I'm not sure what exactly his pitch was like because I, I didn't take it. Uh, one of the other writers okay. took the pitch. And I think that essentially it was, you know, Tuvok gets trapped with a bunch of kids. Um, I think that was the, the gist there. of it. That's the episode. <laughs> um, and I think that, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I think that he brought in sort of the twist at the end um, where the kids are actually not children, but actually old people that okay. are kind of aging backwards from the way that humans age. Uh, so I think it was sort of the high concept that, that drew us to the episode. Nice. I love these opening credits profusely. Yeah, it's really good music too. <laughs> yeah, it's so good music. I mean, all you know, the whole like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager—they're just such great uh, opening theme songs. But Voyager 
it's particularly amazing. Yeah. It was funny you said that this was episode 22 out of, of season two, and it just you know reminds me, you know, we had 26 episodes a year. And so now, <laughs> now people get to do like eight and 10 episodes, and I'm so jealous. I mean, <laughs> 26 a year was a lot of episodes to do. <laughs> I can imagine that would have, that's a, a lot of ideas, um, a lot of writing, a lot of work. <laughs> yes. So when you got your, so the, was this specifically a, a, a script assignment? Like it was like, okay, Lisa, we have this idea, run with it. Or did you seek it out yourself as like, uh, I want to, I want to take that one. I think it was just basically my turn. Um, okay. We had, I think five writers on staff at the time. And so we just rotated, sure. um, you know, and I think I just, my name came up. And, uh, and and like I said, I really took to it because I, I like Tuvok as a character. Yeah, he's fantastic. Here we have uh, Janeway and Chakotay. I think here they're talking about uh, making first contact um, mm. and how much they like making first contact. And this is sort of the privilege of being a captain, which I thought was a nice character thing for Janeway. Sometimes you have to go. You know, I find with your episodes in particular, you kind of... Um, I don't know if this was conscious or, or maybe just coincidence, but it seems like you you hit on Janeway's science background a bit oh, more yeah. than some other episodes do, and I always love that particularly. Yeah, well, I, to me, that's something that that we didn't hit on enough. You know, I mean, yeah. she's she's an explorer and she's curious, but I think it was really interesting that she would be she would have knowledge about you know I don't know if it was you know astrophysics or if it was biology or chemistry, and I I would have liked to know a little bit more about her science background. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I was watching um, the uh, early footage of the Genevieve Bougeau uh, mm -hmm. footage of Janeway a little while ago. And, and it occurred to me while watching that, I was like, she's kind of playing it more like what I would expect a scientist to, a scientist captain to be. A little more yeah. quiet, a little more reserved, you know, a little more like, I'm going to think this out, very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, whereas Janeway's... Uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew is a bit more like of a go-getter. And so it's... Yes. it's um, yeah, no, she's definitely in charge. I mean, as soon as she walks oh, out yeah. on the bridge, oh, yeah. you have no doubt. Oh, yeah. That's great. My people. It means peace in your heart. And I really like the costume choice that, that the costume yeah. department made here of, of sort of covering their faces a little bit because they are a secret of people, you know, yeah. and, and they, they're not used to contact with outsiders. And I, I kind of like the symbolism of them literally covering their faces. Well, it's a subtle way, uh, Robert, uh, not Robert Block, um, Robert Blackman. Uh, to, uh, for his costuming to really um, accentuate the alien aspect of it in mm -hmm. a way that like Michael Westmore, who was undoubtedly so overwhelmed with all the work he was doing, like <laughs> sometimes he just couldn't bring out a new prosthetic each and every single week. Yes. So like the costume is kind of a way to supplement that. Because this is yes. largely a, a human, really. I mean, there's, there's yeah, not much else. Yeah, basically, with a little thingy on our forehead. Yeah. I'm sorry, my chief. And I, I, I also really liked being able to see a first contact that wasn't hostile. You know yes. that we're that we weren't shooting. You know that they're yes. actually walking through, and this is how we would introduce ourselves to another race. We get to see Janeway yeah. being a diplomat, which is something we didn't get to see very often. Yeah, you know, you often find uh, Starfleet officers are called in to solve problems, but you don't see them kind of earning that place of diplomats just through diplomatic relations and just mm -hmm. being being nice and being kind to other cultures. So this yeah, exactly. Nice. I mean, this, you know, this first scene with them seems to be going pretty well and we seem to be making an ally. 
Yeah. I forget. There was there was some reason though, wasn't it? They needed some uh, tritanium, whatever. Some, yeah, some, it was some, 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 element some kind there. of yeah. you know MacGuffin that we needed from them, and and we were just negotiating for that. Right, right, right. And Robert Beltran being awesome as always. Yes. He's great. I have secured his body within the stasis field. You are all very fortunate. I have two I always find it very interesting. Oh, yes, absolutely. Attendance. The people on our ship, they got us to. I think he's basically asking at this point, where the hell are your parents? <laughs> <laughs> I always find it cool, too, how he takes charge in this moment, but it's, it's clearly a. Um, Can't you fix it? I believe so. Clearly, a man who has been a father, and and it's, yes. it feels very natural. And I I don't know was Tim Russ a, a father at this point or he was, was not? Wow, uh, he, he was not. Oh my um, god, he plays a great. My, he does. Guess. Wow, that's awesome. Those currents caused my shuttle to crash, and I assume yours as well. I'm sorry, I'm having to watch this on my phone right now because my computer doesn't <laughs> like. <laughs> so if I'm looking away, it's not because I'm I'm on Facebook or something. <laughs> but. To listeners out there, my Zoom did not react kindly to watching something while also having a microphone on. So uh -huh. I've, I've had to figure it out. You know, I, I thought that, that in general, t uh, Tim Russ was very good uh, at playing Tuvok. I thought that he really kind of showed you what Tuvok would be feeling if he allowed himself to. You know, and, and, and that's really subtle. I mean, it's really easy to play a Vulcan as like robotic and just like stone. But I think he really kind of gave you a, a glimpse at the, the the person inside. Well, I think it's it's so interesting too because he was by and large the first series regular full full blood Vulcan on yes. the series. You know, we had seen Sarek before, but often he would play kind of like a, a oppressive father figure for Spock mm -hmm. to push up against. Whereas here, it's like Tim Russ. We needed to see what a Vulcan would be like in everyday life and in everyday relationships. And he managed to hint at the emotions underneath without ever directly like breaking and, you know, going full, like, uh, I don't know, Spock in one of his emotional breakdowns or whatever. Yeah. I thought was, was very strong acting. Yes. So here they're talking about the Morak, which is what comes for you when you die. <laughs> uh, so this is sort of uh, introducing what's what's going to be the the ongoing threat through the episode. How did you, how did you come up with that? Lives in that cave. I'm sorry. Do you recall how how you came up how that that was determined to be like this is going to be the threat of the episode? Well, again, we wanted to kind of keep playing on the theme of of death. Um, yes. You know, we started off that way. And then the kids are talking about how they're going to die. And this largely is, you know, what gets Tuvok invested in them and that, you know, these poor children, you know, and he feels like he has, has to save them. And that becomes an issue, you know, when it, it looks like, you know, even their own people want them to die. Yes. And so it sort of puts Tuvok in the position of, of being a father to these kids. Yeah. Unless there's been some sort of action. Oh, and here's the doctor, who is always so much fun to write for. Everybody loved writing for the doctor, because Picardo would just knock it out of the park. Absolutely. You will find yourself in very capable hands. We are fully equipped to provide a wide variety of treatments here, from removing a splinter to... I'm sorry, I shouldn't be watching. It's, just, it's so incredibly watchable, I could just... Uh, he is. 
He's great. Um, I've been watching uh, China Beach lately, which he was a series oh, yeah? regular on before this, and it's it's so funny to see him in, in like a more dramatic, romantic lead role. And I'm like, wait, no, mm-hmm. you're 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 you need to be in sick bay. <laughs> <laughs> Here they're talking about him being a hologram. Wow, isn't that fascinating? And it is fascinating. And the constant arc that they gave the Doctor over the course of the series is, is very inventive. And very yes, no, he, he had a lot of growth during the series, definitely. That is similar to our teachings. Our connection to what you call a higher plane is more important than our attachment. And there's a kind of a, a subtle hint in that the, the leader of this race is quite young. I mean, she's a woman like in her 20s. And so it's a little bit of a hint that, you know, when later when you find out that there are people that age backwards, that somebody who was like an, a, a respected leader would look really young. It's, you know, I'd never thought about that, but you're absolutely, of course. I mean, now as you say it, like, <laughs> duh, obviously. So she would be more akin, like in her 60s or 70s, probably. Exactly. In human years. I mean, whatever the say yes. the age is as, but, but elderly. That's amazing. I've been called away on an emergency. This episode was directed by James Conway, who also uh, directed a number of of episodes of Star Trek. Um, By this point, did did you have much interaction with the directors after you had written an episode? Or was it kind of just a moving engine, moving train, and it was just... It was was kind of a moving train. I mean, we we always went into the production meetings and, you know, we would meet the directors. Um, And I always liked to go down to the set uh, when they were shooting my episode. and. Again, just to kind of meet people and to, to be available to, the, to them if they needed me and, you know, just to watch and kind of, you know, meet the cast and meet the crew. Uh, so, but that was, that was largely kind of up to us how much we wanted to do that. Gotcha. Again, this was 22. So at this point, do you recall like what the feeling was on the set at the time? I'm sure. I'm sure we finished this like the day before it started shooting, or something like that. Because yeah. <laughs> the later it went on in the season, you know, the the closer we were cutting it. Uh, I think I probably had probably four or five days to write the script. Wow, that's that's insane. But you know, fortunately, I mean, this would this would have been the fourth or fifth script that I had written that year, and so yeah. you know, we, we we got a lot of practice with it. <laughs> Absolutely. You are allowing your fears to guide you. You must learn to exercise control over your own imagination. And do you recall what the uh, what the break session was like in the, in the writers' room for this episode? Like, was it very much a uh, we're we're breaking beating this out in the room, or was it by this point everyone was so busy with everything it was kind of you were kind of more in charge of the actual breakdown of the episode? No, fortunately, we we did break it in the room, um, gotcha. which I, cool. I think is is a great way to do it. I absolutely know that not every show does that, but I, I found that a terrific process. I love the writers' room. Yeah. And yeah, I think we we always made an effort to do that. I mean, we could have gone individually and broken it, but I I think that we really made an effort to do it all together. And kind of as a side effect of that, you felt invested in every episode, not just of your course, own. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's great. It's like you know, you could almost pick if you wanted to do a commentary for almost any episode from the seasons you worked on, because I feel like you would have a certain level of ownership of, yeah. of any of them. Yeah, I, I would have been in it for the whole story break. So yeah, right. that's awesome. That's so cool. So here he I is. Love I this think little, he like, kind of meditate. Yes, I love uh, this moment. You know, trying to imagine what their fear looks like. Because I mean, it was it was interesting to try and come up with what what level of sort of mental discipline would be appropriate for little kids. You know, what <laughs> what would he try? 
and and how successful would they be again given that they are actually like 90 yes <laughs> i also love how tuvox is a little bit impatient he's just like but vulcan kids would be so much better at this <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah they ask him what his kids are like and he says well behaved yes. <laughs> <laughs> so funny i expect each of you to sit quietly and not touch any of the equipment now Tuvok too. He's it's interesting because he's got to be what seventy or eighty by the time of Voyager. Because yeah. I know they there was the flashback episode where he was like, yeah, I was thirty nine when I was serving with Sulu on mm-hmm. on uh, or maybe twenty nine, but still like older. Yeah, yeah. I always find it fascinating how um, Vulcans live to be like two hundred fifty or something. It's like yeah, we'll stay here. How does that affect their society? Yeah, no, definitely we, we wanted to give two of our kind of an, an old soul in a yes. way that you know, he'd known Janeway for a really long time. And <laughs> I know, I, I, I don't think it ever quite gets explored, but like I, I was always fascinated by what their dynamic was and because their relationship is very close and very, mm-hmm. um, not intimate in a physical way, but intimate in a very emotional way. Like there's a yes. level of trust there that... Uh, is hard to reach in, in life. And I was always wondering, in the same way of like Picard and Guinan in a way, and how they never yeah. quite get into that. And I, would, I would love for them to have dug into that a bit more. Where do Vulcans live? Is it far away? My home world is on the other side. We hear they're having a discussion about Tuvok's ears. <laughs> it always comes up. <laughs> well, which is always funny coming from Taj Mori because he has kind of these, these big old ears and stuff. He does, yes. Helps prepare He's you so great, though. As I love him. Now close your eyes, and imagine all the. Energy. I think this was his first role, too. I mean, the, I imagine all these kids were pretty new to Hollywood, so. Uh, they must have been, yeah. Yeah, so getting a uh, first role on Star Trek must have been a big, big win. Yeah, I got to give James Conway a lot of credit too, and that I think that the kids all had good performances here, and yes. and it's you know to his credit that he that he worked with them and, and got good performances out of them. Absolutely. And they're still kids. Like I find uh, often, and you wrote very well for kids as well. I find often when when writers write for children, it comes across a little too old. Like it comes across yeah. like a little too adult like, and and yet these really do act like like kids, and it's fantastic. No thanks. If Falcons don't feel anything, does that mean you don't love them? My children cannot be described as an emotion. There was that well-behaved line. Yes, I think so. <laughs> but but you're right that I mean he is he is good with them, uh, you know, and and you know he gets down to their level and he and he talks in a very calm tone, um, you know, as opposed to just you know trying to shout at them or something. I genuinely love because Tim Russ narrated a few uh, Star Trek audiobooks and I, I just love oh, yeah? listening to that because he just has the best voice. It's just it's just great. It's so great. So. So here I think their ship, an alien ship is coming and Tupac thinks it's maybe going to rescue the kids, but the kids are terrified about it and he's not sure sure why. Yeah, we're starting to see the unraveling of the mystery a bit more here. Like the kids do have a bit of recall of, of their past lives and it's, um, so they yeah. know that like, this isn't a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that we called it innocence is yeah. that we're kind of saying that, you know, when both the very young and the very old kind of have a almost an innocence about them, you know, that they're sort of seeing the world in a way for the first time all over again. 
you sure. know, and that they don't necessarily have the weight of all these memories. Um, and so that their, their behavior might be kind of similar. Well, and also too, if I recall correctly, 96, 97, like there, there was uh, a rising awareness maybe um, of, 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 of kind of elder abuse in like a lot of uh, mm-hmm. senior citizens homes and things like that. And I, I don't know, maybe that mm-hmm. was conscious, maybe it was unconscious, but it feels like this is an episode about like, how do we take care of our elderly? And this culture has their way of handling it, but it's um, it's uh, it's such an intriguing concept to to tackle and and start and very fresh. I don't think any other show is really like maybe. The no, I mean there was you know maybe, Benjamin but Button, but it. I think that came out after those. That's true. Yeah, although I don't know when the book was written because that wasn't that based on a book. Yeah, but still, that's kind of a different concept though too. That's just. Uh, this also feels very much in the tradition of classic Star Trek, which is a bit more of like that Twilight Zone, like kind of reversal of expectations there at the very end. You know, you think yeah. you know what's going on, and then like, whoops, and it makes you reconsider everything you've seen before. Ideally, yeah, that's what we were shooting for. And here's another another place in which the sort of the coverings over their faces is a really good costume choice because it makes them seem threatening here. Absolutely. Was this on a standing, was there like a standing kind of uh, jungle set that you were taking advantage of here or was this all no, built for the No, we had, to, we had to build new planet sets all the time. Gotcha, gotcha. No one ever comes back. It is illogical for society to kill its own children. So yeah, you can see they just have that little forehead thingy. Is it true? Because I can imagine you would not want to put tons of prosthetics on kids. No. <laughs> that would be a pain. Yes. <laughs> imagine that would break a few union rules at some point. Yes. <laughs> when I was younger, I accepted it without question. In recent years, I have experienced doubts. I do believe there is more. And it's, it's tricky again with kids because they can only work for so long a day. Um, yes, exactly. you know, they, have, they have really strict rules about you know how many hours they can work, and they have to have a tutor on the set, and they have to have a certain number of breaks. Um, so, in a so way, I we're kind of writing something with three kids. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that's partly why uh, Voyager kind of steered away from the uh, "let's have families on the ship" thing yeah. that uh, the Next Generation and, and Deep Space Nine had, had kind of adopted. Yeah, but there's still no word from Tuvok and Bennett. Picking up their shuttle and sensors. There's heavy solar flare action. So I think here they're getting upset that, that Tuvok and Bennett haven't returned. Scanning for the shuttle and all that. Vein of pure polyferronite, three kilometers long. It's a real shame we're leaving. When was your last contact with the other team? Several hours ago. Is there a problem? We can't reach <laughs> the, the pain in the neck of every single episode was having to find some way to disable the transporters so they couldn't just <laughs> beam them out of trouble. Every single week there had to be some new kind of turbulence or. or Technical problem or jamming signal or something like that. 20 degrees to starboard. Set a course, Mr. Paris. Now, this was your first season on the show. Um, talk us through a bit of like what the atmosphere was like at the time. Uh, season two, the ratings were good. They were, I know the network wasn't thrilled because they were hoping they would be even better than Next Generation. Always, but, yeah. Uh, uh, that's the network for you in any situation, yeah. I guess. But, um, but yeah, there you were. Like, what was what was the atmosphere like for for this second season? 
Well, I, I was totally spoiled rotten. I mean, this was my first gig, you know, my first yeah. staff job. Sure. And it was a really functional room. I mean, it was really all great creative people. The story breaks were really good and smooth. Uh, Jerry Taylor was the star, was the showrunner at this point, and she just created such a good open atmosphere that you weren't afraid to speak up, you know, with even stupid ideas uh, because you weren't, you know, everybody had stupid ideas most of the time. You know, most of the, <laughs> the things you suggested would get shot down, but finding a way to do that without, you know, slamming the person, you know, down and, and discouraging them from speaking up at all was kind of tricky. And, and Jerry really managed that very well. So I, I had a terrific experience. You know, I've, I've noticed recently, uh, I know Jerry Taylor's coming to the uh, Trek convention in August and she mm-hmm. was, appeared in a documentary series coming out soon, um, which is just lovely because I, I feel like she'd kind of like not hidden away, but just had kind of, you know, retired, which, yeah. you know. And, and, yeah, no, she, she and left Hollywood, definitely. She left Hollywood, and, and uh, which is always kind of a shame because she was such an unsung hero, I feel like, of not just Voyager, but also the next generation. And yeah. uh, it's great to see her kind of coming out of the woodwork and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully yeah, getting a get lot the, of acclaim. Yeah. Yeah, because she was the showrunner of Next Generation for a few years. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Any indication of trouble, I'll come immediately. Okay. As I read her Voyager books recently, which I thought were fantastic, and they uh, yes. gave a lot of insight, not only into, I mean, specifically into Janeway's character, which I've, I've, I found absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's good, definitely. And and like I said, she really kind of showed me what, what a showrunner was supposed to be like. Um, yeah. You know, sort of managing everybody in the room and, and just keeping us moving forward at really what was a, a breakneck pace. <laughs> absolutely. Less than a half an hour ago. However, they might be watching. You hear they're complaining that they can't sleep. I know, and Tuvok's just like, guys, I'm trying to save us all here. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us one about the fire beast of Sun. Yeah, I remember when, when we were breaking this episode and talking about Tuvok and, and the other producers mentioned that Tim Russ had a good singing voice. Mm. And could we find a way to, to maybe get a song in here? Which was kind of a challenge. It's like, you know, you can't really imagine Vulcans bursting into song and <laughs> opportunity, you know. And so we came up with the idea for a lullaby. And that went in the outline, which, you know, went out to the cast. And then Tim Russ actually called me and he was like, what's this about a lullaby? <laughs> I think he was a little concerned, too, that it was going to be, you know, just sappy or saccharine or, or something like that. And, you know, I really reassured him that I, I did not see it going that way at all, that I, I really saw... A, a Vulcan lullaby being almost like a like a fable or a lesson, like yes. an Aesop's fable, yes. um, that they would maybe teach, you know, lessons through songs, and that you know, because for, for Vulcans they would have to serve a purpose. It wouldn't just be you know a pretty song. It would have to have a function. Yeah. Uh, and so for kids, it would be you know a function of teaching. Well, I I adore that too. I mean, I think a lot of uh, and this has been talked about many times, but I think a lot of actors make the mistake of saying like Vulcans just don't have emotions at all and they just right. completely play it robotically, but they do have emotions. They just suppress them down. And yes. so I feel like they do, uh, they would have lullabies. They would have love stories. They would have things that, that we would know of, but it just wouldn't be in the vein of what we associate with them necessarily. Yeah. It would be their own. Yeah. And again, especially with, with you know, being a parent, you know, I mean, you you have to. I mean, it's an emotional job. It just is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and and there's no there's no way to completely shut that off. Yeah, 
I was watching uh, Star Trek Three last night, and mm. something I never noticed before was at the very end, the Vulcan High Priestess was asking uh, Sarek what they should do because they had Spock's soul, and then they had this body of Spock, mm-hmm. and they were like, "What do you want to do now?" And he was like, "Let's do this ancient ritual to fuse them back together." And the priestess is like. That hasn't been done in a long time. You're kind of crazy for saying that. <laughs> and Sarek just says, "Well, my my uh, something along the lines of like my logic is not uh, balanced when it comes to my son because he's yeah, like, I, you know." And it's like that's so powerful uh, and so true for Vulcans. And that's like right because that's how it is, you know. Yeah, they do have emotions. They just they learn how to manage them. So here's Except a couple that disappeared in the night. Uh oh. Maybe they're both alpha. at one time. Captain, you might want to see this. Have you found the shuttle? Actually, we found two. Both crashed on the surface. And then back to our other crisis, which is that the aliens want us gone, but we want to find our people. I guess the other one is Drayan. We've also had some. I find the look of the costumes as well as kind of reminiscent of like an Amish uh, yeah. Quaker look to them. Like people who yeah, are in, in our real life who are just like, leave us alone. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's what she says during this whole episode is, you know, go away. You know, I probably shouldn't have talked to you people in the first place. Yeah. And your best suggestion of how to get a shuttle to the surface. Then let's hope we won't need to try it. Harry Kim here, the poor guy who stays an ensign for all seven years. Yeah. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough, a little, lot of room for advancement here on Voyager. I would imagine it would be, it'd be a tough career move at this point. It's... Uh, <laughs> You're not going to get a lot of people retiring. No, no. If you go in there, you won't come out. I will take every possible precaution. I believe you can be responsible with this. She's also great, the lead daughter, or lead uh, kid here. So yes. it's just wonderful. Yeah, she really is. I wonder if she stuck around in Hollywood. I, I should have looked that up. But. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. A lot of kid actors, you know, they do their thing, but then they kind of fade away as time goes on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a totally different thing. <laughs> it's not yeah. easy. Not an easy job. We often fear what we do not understand. Yeah, and here you can see that Tuvok is really getting, getting, getting attached to her and really being very concerned about her. Absolutely. And here, have something, have something very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's going to blow her face off. Of course, as kids, we all really wanted just, uh, you know, Tuvok to give us a phaser. We just, well, we, yeah. That was... <laughs> <laughs> here he goes into the scary cave. I still remember owning my toy phaser as a kid, and it was awesome. It was very, <laughs> it was proportional too. It actually was, you know, so often they make those things bigger or smaller because mm-hmm. of whatever reason. But this was like, yes, it actually looks like a phaser. <laughs> it's great. You run around stunning everybody? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Never took it to school, though. They wouldn't let me. <laughs> no. But my imaginary Borg invasions at home were many and plentiful. <laughs> and it was great. And here he's finding their their clothes, but the kids are gone. Very mysterious. Yeah. A little bit of a force ghost aspect here. They kind of just fade away, you know? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. 
definitely a lot of mythology influence here too, I would say. Like that, especially ancient cultures, they would have, death would be a physical thing and it would come to get you at some point. Mm -hmm. And here the kids also have that, even though, uh, you know, it's not exists and it's just natural death, but they, they personify it as a creature that would come to get them. Yeah. I realize it may frighten you, but you must hear the truth. Yeah, I like that he keeps sort of getting down on their level. I mean, as opposed to sort of looming over them. You know, he also you know, goes down to talk to them. Was that in the script or was that a Conway directing choice, you think? It was It was uh, either a director or an actor choice. I don't really know. I really appreciate that. I feel like uh, kids love that. They're like, yeah. yes, they love yeah. adults coming down to our level. And... Uh, uh, so and and in that scene as well, it's saying like Tuvok himself is is you know looking at them as people and not mm -hmm. as like things to look at, things to annoying little things. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. How many search parties could it take to find two crash victims, Captain? There's a break in the turbulence. I'm picking up a comm signal. That was so nice. I like that moment. It's very mm -hmm. nice. Are you all right? Yes, Captain. But Ensign Bennett is dead. We know. We've been trying to get you off the surface, but we're having some trouble with the... Oh, that's right. The whole thing here is that it's a whole planet, isn't it? It's not just a section. It's like a whole... Why? Well, I, I think they're, they're maybe to... on a moon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But it's more than just a little county or, you know, a little plot of land that's a graveyard. It's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they have to, they have to search the whole moon for them. Yes. Something on this moon is responsible. We must leave here. But of course, we can't just beam them up because it never is that easy. <laughs> There's no structural damage, some power fluctuations. I wonder if we can go back in time and, and, and tell Gene Roddenberry just what, how much problems the transporters would cause over time. Seriously, like, now. <laughs> <laughs> the time for him, it was such a cost saving measure because they couldn't figure out how to, they couldn't afford just the constant shuttlecraft going down to a planet. Yeah. So they come up with a yeah. transporter, but then it's like, oh, wait, it, so many, so many story problems after that. Yeah, it's like a, it's like contemporary shows have to deal with cell phones in the same way. It's like, why don't they just oh, call yeah, for very help? True. Very and so true. it always has to be that the battery's low or they can't get a signal or something like that, you know, because yeah. it can't be that easy. Under any circumstances, then I regret to inform you I'll be taking a shuttle to the surface. So of course, we had to create some jeopardy for the ship as well. Uh, it can't just be Tuvok dealing with the Morok. It has to be. Some like phaser battles. It's not my intention to provoke a conflict. Well, then leave at once. I'll be glad to, as soon as every member of my crew is safely back on board. This but of course, Janeway isn't going to leave without her people, damn it. <laughs> Such a great defining element to the character. Uh, and I think it's been picked up a lot now, but like at the time, it, I, don't, I don't know if people were really talking about it, but just like that help and determination of like, she's not even going to leave one person behind. And it right. makes no, like, it's not logical, but that's just, that's her code. And that's just, that's awesome. Yeah. Where sometimes in the next generation or whatever, they would sometimes leave people behind a little too easily. And it's just, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Five people died today. Oh, okay. Great. That's <laughs> well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bummer. So here is a filler scene. Uh, we came mm. up a little bit short, 
you know, on the uh, edit. And so we had to create another scene that had to be on our standing sets with our regular cast. And it's basically them getting prepared to go on a shuttle flight. I'll remember that. That's so okay. interesting. So I would have uh, thought this was kind of a, a runner of the the Delta, the uh, have to keep an eye on the stabilizer. Tom Paris is kind of like because later on he builds his own shuttlecraft, right? And it's one yeah. of his storylines of like this is yeah. his thing, and he really likes that. And it's I, th I would have figured this was a. Uh, laying in the groundwork as it were well good then then we disguised it well yes no totally it feels, <laughs> it feels very natural it feels very natural but also i mean you know in the pilot it's established you, you kind of get this runner of like janeway and, and tom paris are going to have this like continuing arc to them mm -hmm. uh because they're so they're introduced so well in the pilot and it, it doesn't quite get followed up on a lot but uh so i would have figured this was like one of those moments of like oh here's an opportunity to throw that storyline a little bit of a attention yeah well i mean when when you do have the opportunity i mean you, you want to take it you know again even if it's you know basically to fill time i mean you want to you want to do something useful with it so Absolutely, yeah you definitely yeah. want to you know work on the relationships if, it, if it's not necessarily a plot driven scene then it should be a character driven scene yeah what about the electro the currents that made the ships crash i have determined and any time for january to kick some ass is always always great oh yeah <laughs> Again, too, she's she's the one going after Tuvok here, and I feel like that's also speaks to her character and her dynamic with uh, with Tuvok. You know, it's, yes, she she could have sent anyone, but you know, she didn't. That's all. Yeah, she could have just said, "Yo, Chakotay, go get him." Yeah, exactly. How are the weapon systems? Maybe they're still willing to talk. Let's hope the ones on the surface feel the same way. We'll be through this ionosphere in a few more minutes. Sensors are clearing up. I'm reading Tuvok's shuttle. I always have to wonder, like, when... To, I'm sorry, please go ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's always kind of satisfying to see Tom getting to do some actual flying. Um, yes. I see them. They're coming all around us. We've got to go now. I'm attempting an emergency procedure. Please. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure partly it was a production uh, limitation just from the time period because, like, there's references to the more um, singular snub fighter type designs in Starfleet. But mm -hmm. you never quite get, get a chance to see them that often. Um, yeah. Uh, of course, like uh, Tom Paris was initially supposed to be a character named Nick Lacarno, who, who in uh, yeah. the next, next generation, generation was uh, expelled because of a, an accident that happened during a, a snub fighter uh, training exercise at the academy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. all we saw that was like he a, just wasn't quite redeemable enough, and they, did, they didn't want to have somebody quite that bad. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I mean, you watch the episode and you're like, that guy actually does have an interesting code to him that is somewhat justifiable. But um, yeah. as I understand, it was more of a a rights issue. Like, they just didn't want to... Because they would have had to pay, I guess, the TNG crew every time they that character appeared or something like that. It could I could be. be totally wrong there, but um, that's, <laughs> that's my understanding. Because it was like a different network situation, you know, UPN yeah. versus other... I'm sure it was some... Some kind of rights thing. Yeah. Same reason why uh, Buffy never appears so much in Angel after like season one, because they were just like, yeah. eh, we don't, we don't want to pay. <laughs> and again, it was interesting writing, you know, the, the alien leader, because from her point of view, she's protecting her, her people, you know, because it's the same way yeah. that Janeway is, you yeah. know, and that she, she knows that, you know, Tress is basically you know, getting taken away from this moon where she's supposed to be, 
And so I, you know, it's, it's always nice to have the aliens have a little bit of a, have, have their own motivation and have it be a bit, a bit sympathetic. Well, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm forgetting here, but isn't, it's her mother specifically, isn't it? Or am I wrong? No, I don't there? think so. No, okay, okay, never mind. But still, they have their way of life. And, and you know, if, if aliens came and saw our burial rituals, they'd probably be like, this is really weird. So it's... Uh, yeah. It's I mean, imagine so, if somebody uh, came and, like, kidnapped grandma from a nursing home and <laughs> want her back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're keeping old people in this weird complex. We must save yeah. them. <laughs> this is a critical time. I can't allow you to interfere. This is a it's a gorgeous set too. I mean, this is on it a is. soundstage here, but you you can really believe the lighting there. My God, I mean, this it's great. Mm -hmm. You can really believe this is this is outside at a real location. Yeah, no, that this crew, uh, you know, really knew what they were doing. I mean, they had they had come from other Trek series, you know, and so they had been doing this for a good long time, and it really shows. Yeah, she has barely begun it. She is ninety six years old. I always love seeing Starfleet officers with the phasers in there holster it's just it's just a great look mm -hmm. and then of course they always have that like tiny mini phaser they could pull out from their belt or something all the time yeah it's, it's, it's just, they're they're armed they they got it they got it going on no leave me alone here's when we get the big reveal yeah ah 96 our people do not age okay. the same way that your people do Tressa yeah. is 95 years old I'm never meant to face this time alone we weren't alone it's interesting, but even even today, we don't quite know why we age the way that we do. Uh, we do age. We we know this is a, a thing of fact, so to speak, but we don't quite understand the the mechanisms behind it. So it's it's very easy to think that like on an alien race, they could easily have a different mechanism for aging. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, in my mind, it, it's not that they were born old. It was more that they were born away. They grew to an age of like fifty, and then they just started digressing. Is that how you thought of it too, or is it was it well, more? Well, the like way we established button? it again. The reason you found the clothes is that they they evaporated, you know, and so yes. it's not like they were yes. born like human beings are born. Ah, you know, they they are kind of, you know, they they are beings of energy that sort of take on a physical form for a while. Wow. Um, and that's so cool. that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean that that's that was my perception of it was that they sort of you know the way that they coalesce at first when they are you know born in their society. Um, is that they, you know, they essentially are, are adults. Um, and then, yeah, the way that they age, they kind of, it's it's just backwards from the way that we do it. I mean, they just, they get smaller and, hmm. you know, younger looking from our hmm. point of view. Hmm. That's really Until they then, you know, at the end of their life, you know, they the energy just evaporates again. Yeah, and again, it comes down to a classic Star Trek of just like two cultures who aren't the same and they just, they have, they just not quite... They don't understand. It's like humans right. were like, yeah, you look young. That's awesome. Why wouldn't you want to be? <laughs> but for this culture, <laughs> that's the exact opposite. They're like, no, they're old. They're 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 disintegrating. They're they're yeah. Uh, so it's nice really to hear cool. what, what kind of diffuses the tension is. I mean, the realization that the Tuvok has been a compassionate guardian. You know that yes. he really has been doing his best to protect these kids, and that he has served the same purpose that that their own people would have served in yeah. helping them make the transition. And so it's just well, kind of nice this, to have it diffused by compassion. And this scene right here, like she, she just does a great job with it. I mean, she like is suddenly remembering her older or uh, older self, Grandson, younger yeah. self, whatever, younger self. Um, but uh, to think of like uh, 
and there's that understanding. You can just see it in her face. She's like, oh, yes, now I, I do remember what who I am and what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And remembering the grandson, and it's just, it's all lovely. Can your shuttle make it back to Voyager? Maybe we should wait for you. And everybody's happy, except for poor Tressa, who is going to die. And Ensign wants his face. Who? Uh... Well, yes, and Ensign wants his face. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait here as long as you like. Poor guy. He got a good scene for his reel, though. I hope you hope he did something. Oh, he did. He got a great death scene. Yeah. My grandson. You remind me of him sometimes. You will still be with them in their thoughts. As you will be in my That's just a nice little goodbye. That's very nice. Again, just these subtle moments of Tuvok just kind of showing his inner emotions. Mm-hmm. It's just great. I just I just love it. Yeah. Well, that that's one of the reasons I really like writing for the character is that it was it was so subtle. Yeah. You know, and just trying to trying to find ways to hint at what he was thinking. You know, and, and Spock always had kind of the out of like, well, he's half human. And so it's always that inner conflict of like those two sides of him. But but Tuvok is is just pure Vulcan. And you yeah. know there's something there, but it's it's just always so well hidden. And so those little little cracks, those little peaks inside his true his uh, his inner self are just always so fascinating. Yeah. All right, that was fun All to right. watch well, again. That was uh, we're here to the credits then. All right. Oh, and Nansen Bennett was played by Richard Garron. That's there we go. There we go. <laughs> Uh, Wow, Lisa, thank you so much. This was awesome. This was a fantastic episode. Um, You said at the beginning, it still ranks for you as one of your better episodes. One of your more favorite episodes anyway, yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely Uh, I think that all all the elements just came together. I thought it was really well directed and well acted. And like I said, I thought that just the costumes and the sets and just everything was was really top notch. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I I hope we can do more of these. This is a fantastic time, and I always particularly like watching Voyager as well. And uh, I think it's getting a lot more love these days than it's, it, it has is. before, and it's getting a second life. So that's that's fantastic. It, it totally is. Just this year, I mean, I've done like you know three or four different podcasts. I did an interview with the History Channel. They're going to do a Star Trek special. Uh, I've done an interview for a documentary about Voyager and about women in Star Trek. I mean, it's oh wow, nice. There does seem to be a lot of resurgence. Absolutely. So uh, hopefully that means we'll get a Blu-ray here soon because I really want that more than anything. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, uh, listeners, if you, I hope you guys had a good time here. If you guys did, uh, let us know. We'd, we'd love to do more of these. Um, so reach out to us on Twitter uh, at Inglorious Trek or uh, on Instagram uh, and Facebook at uh, Inglorious Trexperts. Uh, we'd like to thank our executive producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman as well as sound engineers Bill Ritter and uh, Natalie, producer Natalie Miscali and uh, associate producer uh, myself and uh, Zach Raggetts. Um, Lisa, thank you again for this. Uh, any, any final words on, on, uh, on Innocence? Um, really just what I said, that I was, I was really happy with it and I think it holds up. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, until next time, guys, uh, we'll say keep on trekking uh, and gloriously, of course. Scott, when you were at the you just told us. About an hour ago, the bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. 
as if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.